We're coming to a conclusion with the three rounds of Job's friends trying to convince Job of what he's done, having no clue who he is and who God is. Last week, and I would commend to you if you did not listen to the previous message about who God cares, if God care, does God care, uh, I would encourage you to listen to that. Today's message is entitled, Who is God? And while the answer is not fully expressed here, not even if I would say partially expressed, I think the aspect is that we need to ask this question because so often people have only one part of maybe a couple of parts of who God is and therefore they think that's all of who he is. So for instance... If you judge me as one who is impatient with screen doors, you wouldn't know all of me. Because I'm impatient with a lot of things. But I also have patience with others. The friends of Job view God as basically one-dimensional. Well, actually, I guess two dimensions. One, that he's transcendent, and he's, that he's God. But that he exclusively operates under the retribution principle. And that all things must fall under that. And even when Job tries to show them by reality and other things that the retribution principle is not universal, they refuse to accept that and keep going back to that one aspect of who God is. Now, that's not any different than we today. Most Christians today think God is exclusively love. God is love, 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 and that's all we think about is the aspect of God. And unfortunately, when we think of God as love, we think of God as love as we love, which is kind of permissive. You know, if you permit things, then you must love people, and if you don't permit things, then you're really harsh and whatever. But God is so much more than just love. God is just. God is holy. God hates sin and therefore has wrath against it. God is faithful. God is merciful. God is kind. God is good. There's so many aspects of who God is that we need to examine all of who God is. So kind of the point of today's message is for us to consider those things, even though in his, uh, Job's friend's view, God is almost one-dimensional. And so in Job chapter... 25 verse starting with verse 1 it says this then Bildad the Shuhite answered dominion and all belong to him who establishes peace in his heights is there any number to his troops and upon whom does his light not rise how then can a man be just with God so he, he acknowledges that that God is transcendent that God is powerful that, that the power of God is far beyond so he, he goes if God is that high, how can man be just with God? Or how can he be clean who is born of woman? If even the moon has no brightness and the stars are not pure in his sight, how much less man than a maggot and the son of man that worm? His view of mankind in essence is very minimal. It's God is up there. And we are so unworthy. So he has concluded 
that man has no value, if you will, so much so as we don't value maggots and worms. Notice Bildad has come to a conclusion about God and man. At least the psalmist asked the question, who is man that God takes notice of him? So he doesn't state how valuable a man is, but he does question, well, there must be some worth to we people because God takes notice of us. But Bildad determines that we have, in essence, no hope, no value as we don't value maggots. Bildad is only partially right. In Romans chapter 3, starting with verse 10, quoting from the Old Testament, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seek for God. All have turned aside, and together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. And so he goes on to talk about how we are sinful by nature, and that in that all have sinned, it's kind of a universal thing. However, that is not where God leaves us. Further in, in Romans chapter 3, starting with verse 23, it says this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So there's an acknowledgement there that sin is universal and we have all have fallen short of the glory of God. And as I keep commenting, not only have we fallen short of the glory of God, we've fallen short of the glory of ourselves. All you have to do is think about something you didn't do that you thought was the right thing to do and you didn't do it or something that was wrong and you did it. You weren't the best you you could be. You've fallen short of the glory of you. So even if God just standard was, what's the best you could be? We'd all messed up. But the glory, the statement isn't that we match us. It's that we match the glory of God and we have all have fallen short. So that's all that Bildad thinks is, okay, we're all sinful, we're all desperate and we have no hope but that's not who God is being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith that was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration I say of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, God just doesn't say, you're sinful, you're a worm, you're a maggot, you have no hope. God, in his love, remedied our sinful nature by sending Jesus. God demonstrated that love through grace. You need to understand all of who God is. Yes, we're sinful. And yes, God loves, but God demonstrated his love by not talking about it, but by sending Jesus, his son, to die for us, that we might be freed from that, that we might be just before him. Bildad never talks about God as that way. He only views God as one who wants to judge and condemn. That's not all of who God is. Yes, God hates sin, but he has demonstrated a way for us to come to him. 
not just as an excused person, but one who is justified. And that justification is by his mercy and his grace and as a gift. You need to see all of who God is. All too often, we kind of look at God through the eyes of our experience. If we had a father who was hard and mean and, and wanted to punish us at the slightest thing, then we tend to look at God as that way. Or if our father was kind of absent and gone for whatever reason, we kind of view God as far and distant. Or if we had a father who was loving and we could climb up in his, his arms and we see God as that way. But that is not limited who God is. Our experience will tell us some things about God. But it won't tell us all. And sometimes our experience misleads us into who God is. You see, I've asked two questions in the last two messages. Does God care? And who is God? But I've not asked, is there a God? For a couple of reasons. First off, the scripture says, a fool says in his heart there is no God. So I don't think I'm talking to fools, so I'll go from, from there. But it is obvious that there is a God. All you have to do, as the scripture says, the heavens declare the glory of God. All you need to see is the vast heavens that there is a God and he's powerful. All you have to look is the mountains and the oceans and all of creation and you see who, that there is a God. You can look to science, who the church oftentimes runs away from. Biology will tell you there's a God. Physiology will tell you there's a God. Astronomy will tell you there's a God. Even mathematics will tell you there's a God because of the probability of all this happening is exceeded the number of atoms in the universe. Science and math all tells us there's a God. So to argue whether there is a God or is not a God is a waste of time. We need to understand who he is. All of who he is. Going back to Job chapter 27. I'm sorry, 26. Some say, because this was just a very short six verses statement by Bill Dent, that some think either one, he's kind of run out of argument, he's frustrated, or two, that Job has kind of had enough and he just cuts him off. So whichever view you view, um, Job responds. And Job responded, what a help you are to the world. Yeah, I get it. We're all sinful. Where do we go from there? Tell us how we go from being sinful to not, to going from being a maggot and a worm to being a child of God. Tell us, help us. to be. And so many times we like to preach to one another, but we don't encourage one another. and We don't give them information to keep on keeping on. And so Job is going, you're no help. How have you saved the arm with us? What counsel you have given to one without wisdom? What helpful insight you have abundantly provided? Basically, he's been sarcastic. You've been no help. Your counsel is doesn't have wisdom. And and it's abundant. 
to whom have you uttered word and whose spirit was expressed through you? So he's going, is God talking through you? Because a lot of times they say, well, this is what God thinks and this is what God does. Wherever they talk on behalf of God. Let me tell you, it is very dangerous to talk on behalf of God. You want to quote him, that's a good thing. Verse 5. The departed spirits tremble under the waters and their inhabitants. Naked is Sheol before him, and Abaddon has no covering. He stretches out the north over the empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. Basically, what Job's response is, you say God is transcendent, I'll match you. God is involved with death. God is involved with the expanse of the universe. He even hangs the earth on nothing, which is a statement which is interesting because even then people thought the earth was held up by something. Some Eastern religions thought it was carried by an elephant. He goes, God holds the world. He wraps up the waters in his clouds and the cloud does not burst under them. He obscures the face of the full moon and spreads his cloud over it. He has inscribed a circle on the surface of the waters. Here's a little experiment for you. Take a glass and fill it up fully with water. And you, as you fill it up, actually the water will exceed the glass. It will occur. And Job is expressing this very phenomenon. At the boundary of light and darkness, the pillars of heaven tremble and are amazed at his rebuke. He quieted sea with his power, and by his understanding, he shattered Rahab. That's a, a massive Leviathan. By his breath, the heavens were cleared, and his hand has pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are the fringes of his way. Now faint a word we hear of him, but his mighty thunder, who can understand? Job appreciates the power of God. Job understands exactly who God is. However, he's somewhat baffled because he knows that he's been a man of integrity, that he's followed God all of his days, and so much so, he offered sacrifices to his children in case they might have sinned. That's how stringently Job followed. And he goes, I don't understand because I've been told by my friends that I must be an evil, corrupt maggot worm. God has power. God is awesome. And I'm unsure. And that's why I keep repeating over and over and over again and through these messages, never exchange for God what you know about him for what you don't know. Job goes, okay, I know God is powerful. And I know he sees, and I know he cares. Therefore, I will trust him. And even in his pain and his questioning, he understands by the statement a few weeks ago, as we said, Yet my Redeemer lives, and yet I will see him in my flesh. So even in the pain and the doubt, he never doubts who God is. He just says, give me the opportunity, God, to express myself to who that I'm innocent. 
and isn't sad. And he both feels that he has to declare his innocence before God and his friends. And yet, as we know from the beginning of the book of Job, Job wasn't guilty of any of the things he was accused of. As a matter of fact, he experienced what he experienced because he was a man who was righteous and followed God. It was simply because of an argument between Satan and God that if the only reason that Job blessed God was because God blessed God. I want to reiterate something, so if you will turn in your Bible to 1 John chapter 4. It says this. Start with verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So, notice something here. His three friends talked about who God was but never did so in love. Did they really know God? Because the people who love know God. Because God is love. The one who does not love does not know God for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. You see, his friends never talked about the grace of God and forgiveness of God and the mercy of God. All they saw was the judgment of God. And yes, there is a judgment. And yes, God hates sin. So much so that he sent his son to die that we might be freed from that burden and that penalty. That we might experience being children of God. But all they ever saw was judgment, judgment, judgment. Like I said, some of us want to see love, love, love. We need to expand who God is. God loves, God is holy, God is righteous, God is merciful, God is good, God is kind. God is who he is. But again, notice his love was not a love of what we think of, some kind of feeling. We think of love as, oh, I feel something about you. I'm warm and fuzzy. When I have a thought of you, Oh, it's just rapturous. God's love is, there is a need, and I fixed it. There are sinful people who I sent my son to demonstrate that they might come to me. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in this. Again, you want to know God, God is love. You want to be involved with God, then you love. Is that who God is? 
one last verse comes from the same book, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Notice, here's an aspect of God that we haven't discussed. We've talked about love, holiness, righteousness, goodness, kindness, mercy, grace. But God is also light. And the light causes the darkness to run away. And there is no darkness. There is no hiding from him. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Notice that there are some keys for us to understand not only who God is, but who are we in relationship to who God is. If we love as he is loved, then we know God. If we walk in the light because he's the light, then we are his. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Notice it didn't say some sin. It didn't say the sin that, that I commit but not you. cleanses us from all sin, even the gross sins that we really talk about. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So the scriptures again repeat that we're sinful. And if you deny the fact that you're sinful, you're lying not only to God, but you're lying to yourself. Because you don't know who you are. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And his friends talked about the disease. They talked about the disease of sin, and, and their cure was to get what you deserve. But God has presided, provided a remedy, a cure from that sin, that if we confess it, he is faithful to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. The scripture says that there's one thing that's impossible for God, to lie. And for us to claim that we're not sinners is to call God a liar. Yes, God is love. Don't call him a liar. Where do you go with this information? The purpose of this message is not to give you all the answers to who God is but to encourage you to delve deep in his word to understand who he is. Because the more you understand who he is, the more you can trust him. And the more you can trust him, the more that circumstances doesn't dictate how you feel. You see, Job's circumstances 
made him feel like God was perhaps unjust. And he knew that that wasn't right. But the more we know about his word, the more we understand him. For you see, you can see the heavens, and you can see geography and the ocean, and you know that there is a God. And you can study biology and physiology and astronomy and math and all those things and determine that there is a God. But it doesn't reveal all of who he is. That's what his word is there for. He sent Jesus to explain more of who he is. You understand who God is? God is everything you can compact into an average man born in the zero century, first century, of how God can compact who he is. We see love. We see forgiveness. We see miracles. We see teaching. We see all of who God is in that. God reveals himself through his word. Yes, your experiences sometimes can help you understand more of who he is, but sometimes our experiences can tell us not who he is because our experiences can give us the wrong feeling. Study his word. Know who he is. So that no matter what comes in our lives, we know who he is. And even when our friends condemn us, we know we have a Savior who died for us. We know that while we may not even have a home here, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because I hope so? No, because he said so. And that's what we need to rely on. What God says, not how I feel. What God does, not what I do. Not what my friends do of what God has done. And God has shown his love for me and you that he sent his son. Never doubt that. And all God's people said,